We do need Him every moment of our lives, and we need to hear, of course, from His Word regularly, and we do that now as we turn to Galatians chapter 5 and continue our summer series on the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians is found in the Scriptures, and there's a few Bible nearby if you uh, would need one this morning. It's found in the New Testament uh, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. But before you get to kind of Hebrews and Revelation, that territory tucked in there next to Philippians and Ephesians and so forth, Galatians chapter 5. And what I want to mention again this morning, too, uh, as I have a, a moment, is that you all will get a chance in the next month and a half or so to enjoy some variety from up here, from the pulpit. We do, as I prayed just a minute ago, the Peters family head out this week to the General Assembly of our denomination, which is our annual meeting and is held in Greenville this year. So appreciate you all praying for us and our travels and those meetings this week. And then we'll have a little family time uh, after that. In July, I'll be down in Peru with our mission trip uh, team that's headed that way for a couple of Sundays as well. So I know we've got... Uh, Sam Fielder and Lanier Wood and Tom Franklin and Todd Smith as well lined up to come and share uh, God's Word with us in the the coming month and a half at various points, and I know you all will be blessed uh, by that. Uh, This morning, we do want to take a look at the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit peace this week. And it's interesting to me how important this matter of peace was for the Apostle Paul. You may or may not realize that every single one of his letters in the New Testament, the books, if you will, that he wrote in the New Testament, and I looked it up this week to check, begins with this line, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So important to him, peace, that it was the, the first letters, if you will, off of his pen. The first words out of his mouth, virtually, in each one of his letters. He wanted to emphasize the peace that we can have with God and experience and extend into our world through Christ. And that really can transform our lives. And so that's what we want to think about today as we look elsewhere in the Scriptures as well and see what God's Word has to say about peace. I invite you to stand with me as I read aloud and you read along silently what should be getting to be a familiar passage for a number of you, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You may be seated, and let's pray again together. Oh Lord, we ask that you would show us today what it means to know, experience, exhibit your peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Nobel Peace Prize is given regularly along with prizes for chemistry, physics, and medicine. And it's one of the most recognized awards in all of the world. 
Its name comes from the millionaire Alfred Noble, who when he died in 1896, through his will, awarded this and established this award through willing almost all of his massive estate. And while his name and the name of the award and maybe some of the prominent recipients of the award are memorable to us, we might forget where it was that all those funds came to establish that award. Nobel was, as his business and line of work, the inventor of dynamite which was used in various armaments and various wars and also created weapons as well that he manufactured. It's interesting then to see the story behind the Peace Prize. In 1888, Alfred's brother Ludwig was traveling in France and died there. And the French newspaper of a nearby town erroneously published, not Ludwig's, but Alfred's obituary. And it was titled, The Merchant of Death is Dead. And then went on to say, and I quote, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. The article, the obituary, continued condemning Nobel for invention of dynamite, and this it was that spurred him to seek a better legacy than the one that was anticipated by this erroneous obituary. In a sense, then, the Nobel Prize and Alfred Nobel emphasized to us three aspects of peace that we can really only enjoy, we know, through the gospel, through what Jesus Christ has done. First, peace with our Maker, peace with God. I don't know much about Nobel's spiritual background and standing, but obviously this obituary that was published about his brother made him think about his own day of meeting his Maker and consider not just what the world thought of him, but certainly what his maker might think. The second thing we see in his life is that he was seeking a sense of personal peace, an experience of peace. He was disturbed. He was upset to read that he was described in this way. It concerned him. And thirdly, he wanted to become somebody that would help extend peaceful relationships in the world through creating this peace prize. And the gospel actually addresses all of these things and calls us all to respond in similar ways to what Jesus has done. The main idea, if you want to follow along, and I'm going to quote from a number of biblical passages in various places of the Bible. You can either be quick on the draw to flip pages, or if you turn to the back of your worship guide, even if you don't normally look at the notes, that might help you today because there's a lot of biblical passages we want to uh, jump from with relative speed that may help you. The main idea then that 
we see, as we've seen in the past few weeks, is that since God freely adopts us in the Holy Spirit, we should exhibit peace. Now, I've mentioned the last few weeks, and I won't go through it again in depth. I'll invite you to go and listen to my June 2nd sermon if you want to hear a little bit more about this part of the fruit of the Spirit. But I've mentioned the last few weeks the fact that the fruit of the Spirit has to come out of our status as being adopted. That soil of being adopted in Christ, being given this new identity, freed from slavery to our old life. It's also got to be fertilized by the the, the feeding, the fertilizing of the freedom that we enjoy in Christ, the power that we have to be liberated from just living life for self to now be able to demonstrate these fruit. And then it also has to be watered, has to be nourished by the flow of God the Holy Spirit. Now, the last couple of Sundays, we've looked at joy and we've looked at love. And, you know, we talked about the fact that those are pretty malleable words. They can be, you know, in our culture especially, turned to mean various things and difficult to define. How much more so this idea of peace is just as difficult to sort of nail down. Think for a minute about just all the expressions we see about peace. We might be driving behind a car with a bumper sticker that encourages us to Envision world peace. You might go to a yoga class where you're encouraged to experience some kind of internal peace. And, of course, somewhere in the back of our mind, we know that Jesus was the prince of peace. How do we put that together? How do we understand that definition of peace in a biblical sense? That's what we want to look at this morning. And before we dive into these three areas that I've already mentioned, it might help us to get a little bit of background from the Old Testament and see what we learn there about peace and also actually about war. It's interesting that peace was considered in the Scriptures a real worthy national pursuit for that emerging theocratic nation-state of Israel. In Judges... Judges 3, 5, and 8 in particular, the peace that the folks enjoyed when the wars had subsided was considered an idyllic state for them, a special blessing to be able to enjoy. And conversely, when they would turn away from the Lord and not humble themselves before Him, then all of a sudden wars and difficulties would come their way. And then they would once again acknowledge their need and God would bring peace to them. Psalm 37:11 says the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So the Old Testament people knew this was something to be sought after this sort of national peace. They also knew as Psalm 147 says that God is the one who gives us peace, that kind of peace. He makes peace within your borders it says there. But it's interesting, as we probably know from the famous song, if not from Ecclesiastes in the Bible, that there's a time for war and for peace. We've got to have that be part of our understanding as well. As we look at Jeremiah, we see a couple of places that 
the people of God were assuring that peace was taking place when really there was no peace. Because there was injustice, there was wrongdoing, there was evil taking place. And we saw it just the last number of months that we've gone through our series in the book of Joshua, didn't we? That God's people there were actually commanded to go into military conflict. It's interesting that even Jesus Himself in Matthew 10, 34 said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What's He saying there? He's saying we shouldn't have this be something we go looking for, but at certain places it's fitting and right for there not to be peace because there's really not peace. Things aren't going well in the world and it needs to be addressed. It's interesting, I've read a couple of times now, it's a difficult read, it's not a book for the kiddos either, but it's a book by Samantha Powers. And it's entitled, A Problem from Hell. A Problem from Hell. And she goes through, in just the 20th century alone, the seven times that the nations of the world, including our own in most of these cases, stood by and watched and said, peace, peace, when there wasn't any peace. Nazi Germany, Stalin's execution of many people, those are familiar to us, but we might have forgotten Paul Potts killing fields in Cambodia, Rwanda as well, and Bosnia that are just 20-some years ago, not long in the past, and in the midst of the political football of Iraq, we might forget that Saddam did execute 200,000 of his own citizens. And I say that just to say that we need to be careful when we talk about peace that we understand what we're talking about. That we say peace, peace, when there really is peace. And the Scriptures give us some direction in that. Oh, that kind of global perspective in mind. Now let's zoom in and see what the Scriptures say about you and I today and how we can experience, have peace with God, experience that peace, and extend that peace to others. The first thing we see that's just, just phenomenal, that's just fantastic, is that we can enjoy peace with our Maker, with the One who made us. And that's objective. It's not just something we feel. It's objective. It's a reality out there that comes, as we know, if we've read the Scriptures, through trusting in Christ, receiving what He's done for us, and thereby being reconciled to God. Look with me back in the Old Testament, if you've got a Bible handy, to Isaiah 53. It's probably about in the middle of your Bible there, just a little bit after Psalms. Isaiah 53, passage that's fairly well known about Jesus, the suffering servant who would come and save us and was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever came into the world. And so it's amazing the description given here of what Jesus does for us. Look at Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4. It says, Surely He, talking about this suffering servant, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. 
And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes, we are healed. We are like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to His own way. The Lord has laid on Him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And then in the New Testament, Romans, just a couple of books in the Bible before our Galatians passage, Romans 5 speaks about this peace that we enjoy through Jesus. Gives us a little bit more information. Romans 5 says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified, that's a word in the Bible for being declared righteous. We've been declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then jumping down to verses 10 and 11 of that chapter, why, you might ask, Why do I need to have peace with God? I didn't really know that we were at odds, maybe you say. Verse 10 of Romans 5 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. Peace. Well, the Bible's saying this is an objective thing that you and I can have in our lives by receiving what Christ has done. But in our natural condition, we aren't at peace with God. And so the question for all of us today, it's not a terribly complicated one, but it's an incredibly important one, is are you, am I, at peace with God because of what Jesus has done, having received Him and having come to faith in Him. That's peace with God. Objectively, we can know that it is true. Second thing we see is that we have an opportunity to experience a personal sense, a personal feeling, if you'll call it that. Now, I know that makes us nervous in our church circles a little bit. Feelings and so forth. We don't want to be too touchy-feely. But the fact is, is there's an experience of the Christian life that we enjoy. It's not just cognitive. It's not just a set of beliefs that we adhere to, although it is that. It's not just actions we take. But it's actually something that should and can be sinking into our soul that can be transforming our life. Proverbs 14.30 speaks to it. A heart at peace gives life to the body. We all know that if you're out of sorts, in particular, if, uh, like me at various times, you step out of walking in the way that you should with the Lord, and you realize and you confess and you repent and so forth, and you realize all of a sudden, you know, I'm disturbed. I don't have the same sense of peace that I had before. Because I know I've been walking out of step with Him. But instead, when we have that peace and we're enjoying it, it gives life to the body. We're energized. We're strengthened to seek Him, to love others, to do the things He calls us to do. Where does that peace come from? The Bible says it comes through Jesus. Just like the objective peace comes through Jesus, the subjective does as well, that experience. John 14, 27. What a great verse. You know, other than the, the Galatians passage, Fruit of the Spirit, if you could take away one that you kind of meditate on and think on this week, John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give you. My peace I give you. Philippians chapter 4 also speaks to this. It says, starting in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. Right? It's not just our sin or our fallenness that causes our peace to be disturbed, but sometimes we just get worried and upset about the things in this life and the concerns that are on our hearts. Apostle Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And what? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an awesome thing that we can have the experience of that peace guarding us, you know, on a lookout, at the gate, making sure no enemy gets in. It's guarding our hearts and minds in Christ. It's interesting as well to me, though, that this experience of peace that we can have, that we should have, is tied, just like we saw with love, and just like we saw with joy. Remember last week we looked at John 15 and the abiding in Christ and saw that that's tied to obeying the commandments of God, to walking in step with His will. So too with peace. Look at Psalm 119, verse 165. Again, it's in your worship guide. It says, Great peace have those who... Love your law. Isaiah explains it to us even more. The fruit of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Just as we saw in those other areas of love and joy, here we see peace too is correlated with us seeking to walk with God. As I said a minute ago, if we're feeling some lack of peace, it might be not that we're out of relationship with Christ, although that's possible, but it may be that we're just out of step with Him as a believer, and so we're disturbed a bit. We're lacking that feeling of peace because we're not walking in His commandments. And let's take it a step further. Let's be honest. The lifestyles of the rich and famous are kind of luring us on this one, aren't they? Whether it's the big names in Hollywood or professional sports or those who are wheeling and dealing in business at the high levels, we look at their lives and we say, we maybe wouldn't say it out loud, but we say it in our mind, boy, I'd like to be like them. If I could be like them, then things would really be good. Do you ever read what's going on in the lives of those folks? What a charade it is. The brokenness, the addiction, the divorce, the you name it that those folks are dealing with. There's no peace there, people. Peace only can be found and experienced in Christ. In Christ. And so the question for us today is, are we experiencing that peace? And there might be some of us here that, you know, the Lord's given us this package of salvation, of the Gospel, and it has inside the box peace. But it got, you know, tucked in underneath that tissue paper or something, and we've forgotten to get it out. We didn't know it was in there. And so God wants to give us a daily sense of peace, but we're not enjoying it because we haven't got it out of there. Or as we saw in Philippians, maybe we're not praying and bringing our burdens to the Lord, and so it's, it's not getting out of the box somehow into our lives. The reverse can be true, though, too. It can be true that we might 
have a sense of peace in our life that's actually false. Because if our peace isn't built on the fact that we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, have received Him and His salvation, then it's actually not a real peace, the Bible says. Last thing we see in these verses is that we have a great opportunity because we've got this objective peace, because we begin to experience that peace, to be extending that out into the world as peacemakers. A bunch of verses speak to this. Matthew 5, right in the middle of Jesus' Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. James 3.18, Peacemakers who sow in peace, who toss out seeds of peace in the world around, will raise a harvest of righteousness. Psalm 37, 37, there's a future for the man of peace. There's a, there's a person, there's a, a way of living that you're described as a man of peace. And then Proverbs 12, 20, I like this one. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. What's this saying? It's saying we should have some intentionality about trying to export this peace out of our lives and into the world around us having experienced it, having come to know it through Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 tells us how this comes to us through Christ. I'll read it. You don't even necessarily need to turn there. But Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. It sounds a little bit like our Galatians passage about the fruit of the Spirit. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. First step to living out peace is we become people who are more gracious with others around us, who see how broken and fallen we are and how wonderful God has been to forgive us, and so we keep short accounts with folks. People come to us and need forgiveness, we forgive. If we can, we overlook the sins that are around us, and we seek to have a gracious posture. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? One other passage I'll read for us, and I think this will be our last one to read for today in our tour through the Bible here. Y'all are hanging with me really well. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 12. We read some of it earlier in our call to confession. The Apostle Paul is writing about the natural division that there was in the biblical times between those from a Jewish background and a Gentile background. They did not naturally relate to one another. And now they've been brought together through Christ in the church. So... How is this peace going to kind of expand and allow them to cross over these sort of natural barriers and boundaries? Remember, it says in verse 12, that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, without having no hope and without God in the world. He's just saying, hey, Gentiles, you know, remember where you were. You weren't in a good spot before this all happened with Jesus. And he goes on, he says, but now in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. You know, that's what's supposed to be happening here in our church fellowship. That we aren't little categories of people who are this type of person or that type of person or that story or that background, but that we're actually being created to be sort of one new people who are all leveled out by the fact that we need Jesus and Jesus is at work in our lives. It says in verse 17, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's what happens through Jesus in the church body. And that's something that we ought to be working for in our marriage and our families and so forth. And let me say, it is Father's Day. I should throw a note in here for the dads. You know, one of those things that we struggle with and everybody struggles with, but I know us men and us dads do, is, is really having peace with God. We're real focused on work and work responsibilities, maybe, or pressures that we feel, or just our personal walk with the Lord, and those things start to weigh us down. You want to be strengthened and equipped to be a father like God has for us to be in our family? I think it comes through really meditating on that peace we have through Christ, really experiencing it, and letting it sink into our lives, and then also being those who help extend it. Uh, I don't know how it is in others' families, but I am much more uh, willing to overlook the uh, conflicts that go on with the youngsters in the family. I will let them go to an extreme point, uh, even though maybe the missus wants me to interject myself and deal with those situations. Man, we've got an opportunity to step in and really be peacemakers in our family, to be peacemakers in our church, to be peacemakers in our community. There is a future for the man of peace. You know, we read and sung this song earlier, and I'll conclude with this. This song, It Is Well With My Soul. Maybe some of you all know the history of this song. If you do know the history of it, it, it really sinks even deeper than just the sort of beauty of the song and the depth of the words. And I don't actually remember all of the details of the situation, but Horatio Spafford, I believe, is the name of the writer of this song. And do you know what happened that caused him to write this song about finding his wellness in Christ, finding peace like a river flowing? He put his family, his wife and daughters, on a boat in England, as I recall, to send them over to America. And he never saw them again. Their ship sank on the way. And when I read these words then about peace like a river attending my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, that whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That has a great impact. Let's pray. Father,
We thank You, Lord, that in the midst of great and wonderful times, like I trust many of us will enjoy today on this Father's Day, that in the midst of those times, we can uh, enjoy them because we have peace with You. We don't have to be caught up with the anxieties and the burdens of this world. We can walk in confidence that You have taken care of things as our Sovereign Father and You have reconciled us to You so we can enjoy that peace. And Father, we thank You as well that in those places in our life where there's great struggle, maybe there's loss and pain and sadness, Father, that You also in those places minister Your peace to us. We praise You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen.